You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve, no. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio. No, a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the Internet. If you have a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Check out my Twitter at Weird Medicine. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news and stuff you can buy or go to our new merchandise store cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. <clears throat> so here we are. Um, I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 11th. Because I am supposed to be on vacation. No clue if I actually got to go or not. Uh, no clue if once I got there, I didn't get stuck there because of, you know, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, a.k.a. coronavirus. Which is, it seems like, <clears throat> really all we've been talking about for quite some time on this show. And it's probably going to be for a little while longer. Um so um, a lot has probably happened, so I'm not even going to try to do SARS-CoV-2 news today. Uh, I'm just going to answer questions and um, um, screw around, basically, because um, I don't want to give you any news that's completely out of date, to be honest with you. I do want to get the plugs in, though. Uh, check out feels.com slash fluid. <clears throat> feels.com slash fluid. And... Um, the, for uh, broad spectrum CBD, you get fifty uh, percent off your first order if you order a subscription, and you can order a subscription cancel at any time. I have mine coming every month. Uh, I love it. Uh, Stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. Tweakedaudio.com offer code fluid for the best earbuds for the price and uh, the uh, best customer service anywhere. And if you want to maintain your ideal body weight or attain your ideal body weight for the first time since college like me, go to Noom, N-O-O-M dot drsteve.com. And um, it's a psychology app. You get uh, two free weeks and 20% off if you decide to try it. And uh, it's only a three-week program. No points. It's not a diet. <clears throat> I really like it. It's not for everybody uh, in the sense that it is just a little bit um, 
a lot of positivity. If that, <laughs> that can, I guess some people would be annoyed by that. Normally, I would be. I wasn't in this because I thought they were helping me. So you get a group, you get a group counselor, you get a an individual counselor. It's really a great thing. So check out Noom at noom.drsteve.com. And check out Dr. Scott's uh, herbal website at simplyherbals.net. And it's not going to be up much longer, so better check it out while you can. Okie doke. Um, let's just answer some questions. How about that? Uh, let's see here. Well, it would help if I pushed the right button. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. There you go. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie B. No, nothing. I had a question about... Um blood sugar levels okay. and um my husband unfortunately passed away a month ago oh, I'm and sorry. when i um he had undiagnosed diabetes and i'm wanting to know if had i gotten him to the hospital a few hours sooner had we had a, a better result so my question is about blood sugar levels and uh, uh, and slipping into a cardiac arrest. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so, um, no. Thank you. <clears throat> I don't want you blaming yourself in any way. And there's no blame to be assigned in a situation like this. The problem with diabetes is it goes undiagnosed often unless uh, you get screened for it. So uh, getting your physical done every year, getting your blood sugar done, or your hemoglobin A1C. Your hemoglobin A1C is uh, a test of how much blood sugar is glomming onto the hemoglobin in your blood. And that gives you a, an idea of three-month average blood sugar. So we used to say anything under 8 was good, and now then they ratcheted down to 6.7. Now it's in the 5s. Uh, it's considered normal. So... Uh, getting your physical done every year, get your prostate check if you're over 50, colonoscopy, get your blood pressure, cholesterol, and your blood sugar done. And uh, usually they can catch this stuff. <clears throat> but undiagnosed diabetes, for many people, doesn't cause any symptoms. And it just makes them feel kind of crummy, maybe, and but they just think it's part of normal aging, and they ignore it. Uh, it's not everybody pees like a racehorse. Uh, even if they do, sometimes they don't realize that that's a problem. They just think they've got a problem with their prostate. And the problem with uh, having undiagnosed high blood sugar is that it can lead to coronary artery disease. So people who have diabetes are higher risk of heart attack, stroke, kidney failure, and that kind of stuff. So um, that's what happened. And uh, it's not your fault. Uh, uh, unlikely anything you could have done would have changed the outcome, sadly, uh, other than... Um, if, if they could have diagnosed this earlier. So I'm sorry that happened. And, um, yeah, it sucks. And, you know, no, knowing that death is a natural part of life doesn't make it any easier to deal with. So, and if I can help you in any way, please uh, don't hesitate to call back. All right. Well. Uh, about a year ago, I had a checkup with my doctor, and she wanted to send me for um, more tests because at that time, she said my ALT uh, was high and my blood screen was um, 123. My okay, ALT is a liver function test. So, um, AST, 
STD was 59, and she said... Yeah, those used to be called SGOT and SGPT, and now they're ALT and AST. It doesn't matter what those stand for, but those are... Uh, these are enzymes that are primarily uh, created in um, cells in the liver. And so when the liver cells die, they release those enzymes into the bloodstream, and then you can detect them in a blood test. There was blood in my urine. Of course, I didn't bother to go. And a year later, um, my numbers are back to normal. 42 okay. for ALT and 17 for AST. Good. However, my doctor, my um gastroenterologist he wanted me to see my primary because my creatinine level is high uh, 1.40 okay so creatinine level is a function of um, kidney function so um, you and I if if we have normal kidney function we very efficiently filter out creatinine okay so there'll be way more creatinine in your urine than will be in your bloodstream. And when your kidneys stop filtering efficiently, that creatinine level starts to rise because we're no longer able to filter it out as efficiently. Does that, I hope that makes sense. So, so that is something that, that's a, a, a marker that we look at for kidney failure. Now, 1.4, <clears throat> no, that's not kidney failure. We might call that renal insufficiency. But, uh, uh, you can see that from, uh, uh, you know, every once in a while if someone's dehydrated or something like that, um, you, you'll see the, a, a transient rise in creatinine. So the question is, is it chronically elevated or was it just one time? Let's see what he says, if he does say anything. Uh, I have records going back to 2014. It was usually in the night, nines. Uh, now it's up to one and a half. Went back to my primary she wants me to go again, of course. Um, my references me to refers me to a hematologist oncologist for my kidneys, even though there's no blood in my urine anymore. Oh. But she says my uh, other counts are behind, especially my red blood counts. Uh, my hemoglobin was eighteen point four. My my hematocrit was fifty seven point seven. Oh. I don't know what any of this means, of course. Um, one thing that is confusing, my neutrophils absolute from 2014 to 2016 was 4,500 to 5,200. Now they're measuring it says 5.7. I don't know if they're... That's no, 5.7 thousand. Measuring it a different way or yeah, they something are. really strange okay. happened yeah. with that. Uh, any information you can give me would be of uh, great help. Um, I appreciate it. Listen to your podcast every week. Okay, good, good, good. So you'll hear this. So, uh, yeah, the 5.7, that's going to be 5.7 thousand. So that's still in the same uh, in the same range. So uh, I want to hear that hem hemoglobin and hematocrit again. Let me run that down. Especially my red blood counts. Uh, my hemoglobin was 18.4. My, my hematocrit was 57.7. Yeah, okay. So hematocrit is um, if you – that's basically the percentage of blood volume that is red blood cells. That's kind of a way to think of it. So if you spin down blood into a, uh, a very narrow tube and you put in a centrifuge and the red blood cells go to the bottom, then you can measure – 
you know, the top from the very bottom to the top of the clear fluid, because there will be a, a down at the bottom, there will be uh, debris <clears throat> and red blood cells. At the top will be clear fluid. You measure the whole distance, that'd be your 100%. And then let's say that the red blood cells go up half the way, then that would be 50%. That would be a hematocrit of 50, okay? And, um, and then the hemoglobin is another measure of, of red blood cells. And both of these are elevated in him. Not crazy elevated, but they're elevated. So, uh, and he's had this issue with uh, these transient liver enzymes, plus he's got a little bit of renal insufficiency. So I don't, at first when I said that they were sending him to a hematologist, I couldn't figure out why, but now I understand why. They're looking to uh, work him up for um, a what's called a polycythemia or an overabundance of red blood cells. This can be caused by smoking. He didn't say whether he smokes or not. Carbon monoxide exposure. Uh, but it can also come from the bone marrow itself. So a hematologist would be the right person to work that out. And uh, give us a call and let us know what they say because uh, I don't want to make any, um, uh, you know, any <clears throat> bench or sidecar diagnoses at this point. But I can tell you that's why they're sending you to that place and what they're going to be looking for. So, And that, that creatinine's not crazy high. Uh, but when you have an unexpected abnormal lab test, the first thing you do is repeat it. It may do a thing called regression to the mean. In other words, um, the next time they do it might be 1.2, and then 1.1, it's working its way back down to normal. On the other hand, it may be 2, and then 2.5 and 3, and now you know you've got a problem. But one slightly elevated creatinine doth not renal failure make. But that combined with the transient liver enzymes and the elevated red blood cells, um, that would uh, warrant further investigations, really all that is. Could be something completely benign. Okay, nope. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's do this one. Professional advice, except for fuck P.A. John. I guess I'd rely on Dr. Steve here. Anyway. That's right. Okay. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a, a phone call by Stacy Deloach, lest I not recognize him when he calls in. Okay. Listeners from three weeks ago will know what I'm talking about. All right. Take it away, Stacy. Got two bone spurs, one on the bottom of my heel and one coming out of the back, pointing up in my heel, according to the X-ray. Is there any way of curing that without surgery, either through physical therapy or diet or any other way of doing that? Yeah, it's a great question. So he has bone spurs, and um, most people think the spur is what causes the problem because the spur is actually, uh, you know, it's a pointy piece of bone. And uh, surely to goodness, that's what's causing the pain. And actually, the, the spur itself is more likely to be a symptom of the tension that's being placed on that bone by the ligaments and tendons around it rather than the cause. So um, when you have it on the bottom of your foot and it's going forward, it's, that's usually caused by a thing called plantar fasciitis. So 
you have uh, this sort of uh, inverse suspension bridge under your foot, and every time you step on it, you you uh, expand it, and that it just constantly is pulling on that heel bone, and you can get pain there, and it's actually pain in the uh, ligamentous. Um, structure that's that's supporting the foot in sort of the arch of the foot and uh, there are lots of things that you can do for plantar fasciitis uh, the one that they really don't do much of at all is surgery for it even though when you do an x-ray you may see one of those bone spurs and that's just because bone will grow in the direction of stress and that's a really smart design um, you know if you walk in a certain way uh, and you put stress on your hip and it say that it's it's abnormal that if that hip will actually remodel and the lines inside the supporting scaffolding will realign itself very slowly albeit but they'll do it uh, to uh, uh, re- reflect the where they're feeling the stress so uh, we think a bone as being like rock but it's not it's living tissue it's just moving really slowly if if it moves at all so when you just keep tugging on it, you can actually extrude out bone cells that will then form bone and make a spur. So wearing a Thule heel cup, doing uh, foot stretches, you can go to places like Fleet Feet if you have one of those in your area, and they have a sock that will um, that has Velcro on the front and a strap that you can strap to the front of your shin to stretch out your foot for um, plantar fasciitis or heel spurs, um, runner's heel, all that kind of stuff. So, And then the one that's in the back that's pointing up is just from his Achilles tendon doing the same thing. It's doing exactly the same thing. It's pulling. So he, he may need to see a podiatrist to get some inserts in his shoe to take off some of the pressure from uh, uh, that calcaneus bone, which is the heel bone, uh, take some of the pressure off of it from all the uh, ligaments and tendons that are pulling on it. So, all right. Let's see here. Um, yeah. Uh-oh. Um, <clears throat> uh, I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and MMA off and on for about 20 years. And uh, when I rotate my head, I hear a crackle in my neck. Yeah. Now, I don't feel any pain, but uh, uh, what is that? It's kind of weird. Also... Uh, Dr. Steve, you should uh, go on the uh, Matt Sarah and uh, what? well Jimmy Norton uh, UFC podcast. Really? That'd probably be a good show. And can you uh, revive the Chippa? No. Just asking. I, I can't. Why? Why would I revive the Chippa? Um. No, I I don't have a whole lot to say on you. I was on Hammer Fisting Podcast with Luis Gomez a couple of times. Then he quit asking me on. I think I was just boring and stupid and didn't know enough about sports medicine to really say anything. And uh, uh, that that was of any interest whatsoever. But I love MMA. I love to watch it. just don't know anything about it. Um, <clears throat> so neck cracking is very common. I can crack my neck right now. I'm, I don't think you can hear it. Let me see if you can hear it. I doubt you can hear that, but I can hear it. It's very loud in my head. 
that's just caused by the tissues of the neck rubbing against each other. You know, if you, what, what I want you to do, if you ever have a chance, is to look at a model of the human spine. It's an incredible feat of engineering. You know, these little pedicles and these other little, little outcroppings, you know, lay, lay on top of them, and each one lays on top of the other one. And they're not placed there like blocks. They grow like that. It's really neat. And um, it's very clever, and it's it's pretty flexible within limits. And uh, But these tissues kind of start grinding against each other, and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that anything really bad is going on. Uh, you may have a little bit of degenerative joint disease, but if it doesn't cause pain, uh, it, it really is probably not a problem. So now people will endure trauma and get osteoarthritis from it years later. Well, I've seen lots of uh, people with bad knees, men particularly, and I'll say, did you play football? And I would say about 88% of them uh, were football players. And it seems like 10, 15 years later, now they've got arthritis in their knees. So you will see that from time to time. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Now, if you have any associated symptoms when it cracks, numbness in your fingers, numbness running down your arm, electricity shooting down your arm, then you got to get checked because that's a sign of a pinched nerve. All right. Hello, we're in medicine. Hey. This is uh, Steve from New York. Just got a couple of goofy questions. <clears throat> I was just watching a YouTube video. And the guy plays like bath bombs. It's in liquid nitrogen. It doesn't dissolve, but it freezes instantly, you know. He then takes the frozen bath bomb, puts it in his bathtub, and the water in the bathtub boils. It literally boils and, like, empties by half. How does that happen? I'm, I'm having trouble understanding him. Um, if you put something like... Um, liquid nitrogen or or carbon dioxide is a better one. It would you know solid carbon dioxide we call dry ice. If you put it in water, yeah, it will look like it's boiling. What it's doing really is just outgassing. So it's not boiling in the sense that the water is changing from one phase to another. That's what really boiling is: is where water changes from a liquid phase to a gaseous phase. What really is going on is, and, and so it's outgassing, and so you get this bubbling up. You throw dry ice in water, uh, it outgasses, but the water itself doesn't change from water to gas. Most likely it's changing from water to solid, which we call ice, uh, as it tries to, as it, you know, encases the dry ice. So, so anyway, um, yeah, sorry, I couldn't answer the rest of it. I know he was asking about the uh, lethal dose of nicotine and uh, the LD50 of, uh, in other words, the amount of nicotine that will kill 50% of humans is considered to be uh, 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. So that would be like 35 milligrams. Now, I'm not sure how much is in a, in a cigarette. So let's find out. Um, well, let's see if Echo knows. Echo, how much nicotine is in a single cigarette? According to an Amazon customer, the average cigarette contains around 12 milligrams of nicotine. However, the MG of nicotine in cigarettes can range from 8 milligrams all the way up to more than 24 milligrams, depending on the strength. Okay, so that's from some Amazon user. I don't know if it's true. 
So uh, 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram can be a lethal dosage for an adult human. Now, remember, just because it, the cigarette has that much doesn't mean you're getting that dose. That would be a, the more accurate question. What dose of nicotine do you get when you, uh, when you take a puff on a smoke? Well, let's, let's, let's look that up. Echo, how much nicotine do you get in every puff of a cigarette? A response from an Amazon customer about CD cigarette says, about 10 milligrams in each cigarette. Hmm. Okay, I don't know. I should have looked that up before I started doing this podcast. But anyway, so uh, it, uh, unlikely to have a lethal dose, in other words, from a, um, a single cigarette. And um, <clears throat> But I, I'm going to look that. Well, here's nicotine poisoning. Let's just look and see. What uh, what our old buddy Wikipedia, which I know is not a great medical source, but is not bad, actually, for things like uh, like this, because there are a lot of people out there that fact check this stuff. So um, the, the widely used human LD50 estimate of one milligram per kilogram was questioned in a 2013 review in light of several documented cases of humans surviving much higher doses. 2013 review suggests that the lower limit causing fatal outcomes is a thousand milligrams of ingested nicotine corresponding to 13 milligrams per kilogram orally. So you'd have to eat it, just smoking it, because when you smoke it, the nicotine comes in to your body and then uh, you metabolize it very quickly. Uh, an accidental ingestion of only six milligrams may be lethal to children, so don't let children. Uh, Accidentally eat your nicotine gum, keep that stuff out of their hands, and cigarettes as well. Just, can we just not have cigarettes in the house if there are kids? You know, if you're an adult, do whatever you want to do, but uh, I don't understand it. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, here we go. It says, the recent rise in the use of electronic cigarettes, many forms of which are designed to be refilled with nicotine-containing e-liquid supplied in small plastic bottles, has renewed interest in nicotine overdoses, especially in the possibility of young children invest ingesting the liquids. In 2015, a Public Health England report noted an unconfirmed newspaper report of a fatal poisoning of a two-year-old child. Two published case reports of children of similar age had recovered after ingesting e-liquid and vomiting. Yeah. So if you have a bottle full of e-liquid, um, look and see how many milligrams of nicotine are in there and that you may be in possession of a fatal dose of that stuff. So that's pretty, pretty spooky. So be careful out there. You know what? Forget about having a perfect beach body. The truth is carrying too much weight increases your risk of high blood pressure, heart attacks, sleep apnea, joint pain, and increased resistance to insulin, which can lead to diabetes. The good news is lowering your weight even 5 to 10% can decrease your health risks. You know, there's a new company called Withings. These people are amazing. They have more than 10 years' experience making connected devices to help anyone take control of their health. Now, look... I have one of their scales, and you know I don't endorse products that I don't use myself on this on this uh, show. And um, this Withing scale is unbelievable. The first thing is it's not Bluetooth scale. It's 
a Wi-Fi scale, which means it will sync with your app wherever it is. It doesn't have to be uh, close to your um, close to your scale, and that used to drive me crazy when I had uh, a Bluetooth scale because I had to bring my phone into the bathroom, and to me that's just gross. So I can just weigh myself. Not only does it tell me how much I weigh, but it keeps track of the trends and sends it to the uh, my fitness app where I now have a nice graph that tells me uh, what, uh, what direction my weight's going in. In addition to that, it tells me my total body fat, total body water, bone, uh, the, how much my bones weigh, how much my muscle mass weighs. It's incredible. So, you know, if you've, you've probably heard that people uh, who work out will have increased um, uh, muscle mass and their weight will actually go up. Well, you know, with this thing, you can determine indeed that, yeah, it, the reason my weight's going up is because the weight of my muscles is going up and my body fat is going down, which is what you care about. This thing is fantastic. Uh, founded 10 years ago, Withings produced the first commercially available smart scale, and they're still considered the best. They now have a whole ecosystem of award-winning connected devices beyond the scale, like hybrid smartwatches and blood pressure monitors, which I'm getting one of those next. Uh, they're all known for their accuracy and ease of use. Um, yeah, the step on the scale and data from every weigh-in goes directly to the highly rated HealthMate app, which is available for iOS and Android. Of course, the app is free. And uh, they support up to eight users, and they even have a pregnancy mode with advice for every week of pregnancy. Oh, you know what else? It'll tell you what the weather is for the day. So I weigh myself every morning uh, when I get out of the shower, and it tells me what the um, what the temperature outside and what, what the forecast is. This is the craziest scale I've ever seen. It's fantastic. I love it. This is light years ahead of every other smart scale I've ever had. If you want to take control of your weight or just add muscle and lose fat, a Withings Smart Scale can help. It, um, in fact, Tom's Guide recently named Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale of 2020. Get 25% off the Body Plus Body Composition Wi-Fi Smart Scale at withings.com slash Steve. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com slash Steve. You will not regret this. It is fantastic. Thank you, Withings. All right, back to the show. We'll take another couple of questions, then we'll get out of here. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Ryan out in Chicago. Uh, I got a question for you. You keep talking about the universal flu vaccine. That's and correct. It sounds awesome. I was watching this uh, docu-series on Netflix called Pandemic, and, and they had touched on where they are at the development with the universal flu vaccine. And they said they already have something, but it entails getting, instead of just one shot, uh, a series of seven shots. And just for argument's sake, let's say I'm not a millennial snowflake. <laughs> how I don't know what that is. might I go about getting these seven shots, and, and what would it entail? I mean, if I could not have to go every year and get the flu vaccine, I'm willing to get seven shots. I'm willing to get seven shots in quick succession if necessary. So... Just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Thanks so much. Bye. Yeah. So what he's talking about is a universal influenza vaccine, which is something we desperately need. Right now we're <clears throat> guessing which of the 
viral proteins on the surface of the influenza virus will be pre- present when flu hits our communities. And, um, but the stupid thing uh, mutates. So every year it's something different. And sometimes the flu vaccine is 6% effective and other times it's 40% effective. What we need is a universal flu vaccine. So you get one flu vaccine, just like you got one series of measles vaccines. And uh, I haven't heard this seven shot thing, but you have to get more than one MMR and uh, you have to get uh, more than one uh, Shingrix vaccine. I had to get two of those. So I doubt it'll be seven when they finally finish it. It might be two or three, though. And uh, but then when you do that, that'll be the end of influenza. Uh, it just as we basically eradicated measles in this country until people stopped vaccinating their kids. And uh, now measles is making a comeback. But back, uh, you know, 10, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, there was not a single native case of community-acquired measles in this country. They were all people, the people that got measles that year all got it from uh, or brought it here from other places. So... Uh, now we're seeing it come back again. Hopefully people will get some sense and start vaccinating their kids again. But anyway, we need a universal influenza vaccine, mainly because we don't want the influenza pandemic of 1918 to ever happen again. Now, that's unlikely to happen. Dr. Scott and I talked about this last show, that um, an influenza pandemic that kills 1% of the world's population uh, unless it's completely resistant or really fastly, or you know, fastly, rapidly fatal, is unlikely to happen because now we have ventilators and we have Tamiflu and Zofluza and Relenza, and we'll have other medications and hopefully a universal vaccine. And we have vaccines in general right now, so um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the future that we can have a flu influenza-free future because this stupid virus, enough's enough with this effing virus. 30,000 people in this country dead this year. So far from influenza, enough. So your days are numbered influenza. We're coming for you. All right. Piece of crap virus. <laughs> so. Hey, Dr. Steve. My name's Ryan. Uh, I've recently quit smoking. Congratulations. Um, it's been 30 plus days. Excellent. And I've been using the Nicotrol okay. inhaler. Uh, went through a breakup right before I started. Oh, here we go. Uh, quit smoking program and we were working stuff out and motions went crazy two different times. Right in a row. Yep. Uh, once when I quit smoking completely, and then the next time when uh, I quit the Nicotrol. Um, is that normal to have just an emotional just blow up? Yes. Out of nowhere. Thanks, boss. Appreciate you yeah, uh, help pushing me to quit smoking. Oh, thank you for quitting. And yes, um, part of the with. Withdrawal from nicotine is a little bit of emotional lability. And uh, the other thing is, is that the brain also will might at that time say, you know, dude, you'd feel better 
if you just smoked a cigarette. Don't fall for that. That's the lizard part of your brain trying to get you to smoke again. So don't do it. Resist. Go beat off. Go eat something. Drink something. Just don't smoke. Because <clears throat> you're vulnerable right now. I used to go six weeks. And then my wife would piss me off. And I'd go, well, by God, I'll show her I'm going to smoke. And I'd go smoke. Well, I didn't show her anything. I was just showing myself what a dumbass I was. So eventually it stuck. And mostly I did it just to show her. You know, I'll... Because uh, she still smokes, so <laughs> hell with her. But uh, I, uh, uh, you're you're going to be vulnerable at six weeks and six months. At six months, you're going to say, "Oh, I got this thing licked. I could just have one." You can't. You can't have one. If it breaks your heart to not smoke, that you can say, "Look, if I ever have a terminal illness in the future, then I'll start smoking again," and that's totally fine to do that because that's what I did that helped me say it's not goodbye it's so long when I get a terminal illness I'll pick you back up again because at that point who cares but the weird thing is at this point I've been quit 25 years I guess at this point I have no interest if I get a terminal illness now there's a lot of stuff I'll do and uh, visiting the bunny ranch is one of them but smoking is not one of them I won't be doing that so there you go and visiting the bunny ranch is a euphemism for you figure it out anyway. All right. Listen, thanks always go to Dr. Scott when he's here. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, and Chris Stanley, whose early support of the show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. And next week we'll be live and we'll uh, be talking about coronavirus again, I'm sure. We'll see you then. 